302 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is January 27th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, what's going on, my man? Uh, Seattle was amazing. It was great to meet all sorts of people. Seemed like you were having uh, a blast out there. I, I did. Too much of a blast. Uh, <laughs> came down with some sort of sinus infection type thing yeah. and had to spend the last two days while I was up there trying to trying to get right again. You can't blame this one on your kids? No, well, it might have started with them, but it definitely festered uh, because of my lifestyle. With the behavior. Okay, okay. (laughs) You're accepting responsibility, and we appreciate that. As always, folks, I ask that you guys follow us on Twitter. You could have stayed up with Eno's exploits in Seattle. He was letting us know what he was doing, both baseball side and the more fun side, drinking all sorts of different kinds of beers. I am at Sporer, S-P-O-R-E-R, and he's at Eno Saris, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. As always, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Again, you guys are killing it. Listen, I saw your review there, sir, with the five stars who said, I'm only doing this so Paul stops asking. But you know what? It worked. I asked and you did it. So why would I stop asking? <laughs> You've got a 4.8 review on 272 reviews, 233 of them are five stars. You guys are killing it for us. We really appreciate it. Love the uh, the, the commentary there. I'm, I'm in there reading as many of them as I can. If you got if you got critiques, let us know. We're trying to make and the show better. And in the space in which we might uh promote some sort of you know product or or or, or situation uh, we, i would just say you may you might want to stop sending us uh, stuff about pro- possible promotions cuz right now all we need to do is find out how to charge for it and uh, and get back to the people who've gotten back to us or or in other words thank you for getting in touch with us and soon we will have a sponsor that's true you guys have absolutely killed it that uh, on that uh, sleeperpot at gmail.com a bunch of you have contacted us there obviously that's where you can also send your email questions for the show which we'll get to later and yeah we're going to have we're going to have some stuff uh, cooking with all of that in terms of sponsorships very soon so thank you all for reaching out about that we got to dive right in. Not a lot of uh, transactions going on right now, not even any big rumors. So we're going straight to strategy, and we're talking ranks. We've been pumping out the ranks there on Rotographs. Just the second baseman literally just went up about five minutes before you and I got on the horn. We're actually not going to talk about them today. We'll save them for Friday. But the last two that have gone up are first base and catcher, and we haven't had a chance to talk about those. So we're going to start with first base. And as we always do, you know, I'm just going to turn it over to you for a minute or two. Let us know your overview of the position. When you see first base and mock drafts that you've been doing or, or, or ranking sheets that you've been looking at, what are your initial takeaways? They're absolute studs. And I think, you know, since shortstop gets so iffy after the first one or two and, you know, second base only has a, a few clear guys, I, I, I think that even though position scarcity means something – and you want to give guys a little bit of credit. I think you want to get your first baseman early. You really do. These guys, the top, I don't know. I don't know if it goes, you know, five or if it goes, you know, you know, eight. But I think I think it's probably five. I think you want one of those top five guys. I, I think, think you want Goldschmidt, Rizzo, Miggy, Abreu, Encarnacion. I think you want one of those guys. Maybe you put Votto and Davis in there and you go to seven. But I don't think you go to 12. This isn't a thing where you're like, oh, don't worry about it. I got Hosmer. Everything's fine. If you got Hosmer, I think you want to have Correa and Bingo. Oh, the best and Donaldson. You know what I mean? Like yep. you, you want to have a great infield around them. 
and uh, and then then it's okay to have Hosmer. But if you sort of pair Hosmer with a I don't know Tulo and you know Frazier, I just uh, that doesn't uh, that doesn't do it for me as an infield. So I think there is a clear separation. I think these are the studs of the studs. Even you know I put them up against outfielders. I, I think that would be a really interesting thing to look at, but. To me, I, I'm beginning to think that in the first couple of rounds, I want to leave position scarcity away a little bit, and I just want the very best bats. And that position scarcity can be a little bit more important to me in the middle rounds when I'm making decisions between two guys a little bit more comparable. I totally understand that. I think you're making great points about first base, particularly at that front end there. I think the the, the presence of superstars, and we talk about this in relation to the outfield at times, that the, the presence of many superstars automatically leads to this belief that it's deep. And I think that's at play here at first base. And, and folks are quickly learning whether they're in mock drafts or they're, or they're doing their NFBC actual drafts, which a lot of them are, are happening right now. They're learning quickly that, oh, my God, it's, it's, it's really not. You know, a name like Freddie Freeman, it's a good name. He's a quality player, but – He's not a superstar. He's not. He's not a. He's not a stud first baseman. And again, if he's your first baseman, as you you outlined plans where that can work, but if you can get in there early, I, th- I think it is in your best interest because it, it can dry up pretty quickly, and all of a sudden, you're looking at the uh, the Brandon Belts, the Albert Pujols, and the Mark Teixeiras of the world, and you know they all come with their 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 own bag of risk, whether it's age for the for the latter two or injury, literally for all three, because Belt. You know these concussion issues. We don't really don't know what's gonna, how that's gonna play out with him. He was somebody I had a tough time ranking. I, I'm a huge fan of his game, but we've seen what concussions can do to guys uh, in the past, particularly Justin Morneau recently, Corey Koski in the past, plenty of other catchers uh, obviously have dealt with it. So it's an interesting position to that end. And if you're not in a league that is lenient on qualifications, you're not going to have the David Ortiz's um, or even like the Prince Fielders, uh, Kendry Morales, you know, those type of guys aren't going to qualify. And that's obviously going to thin it out even more. Now, as we always do, we want to get some guys that you're higher on, get a few guys that you're lower on. Let's start with a couple on the high end here. Who are a couple, uh, who's the first first baseman that you're higher on than these consensus ranks? Well, that's a little bit that's a little bit hard for me because I'm looking at this and being like, you know, there's a there's a tier there. I think around Edwin, and uh, so I have to kind of skip that middle bunch before I get to somebody I like more. I think it might be Brandon Belt. I know that concussions tend to gather steam, and and you know Justin Morneau started getting them. They, they kind of they get more concussions. And Absolutely, so you're more susceptible. Yeah, you can be more susceptible, and you can they can be end, career enders. And, you know, ask Jason Larue, who got kicked in the head by Johnny Cueto. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his career ended with 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 concussion. So, you know, as, as much as I want to say him, and then there's a bunch of guys where they've kind of defied age a little bit. Albert Pujols, Adrian Gonzalez, David Ortiz, but I it always makes me you know age wins out in the end. And you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be a drop off because of that. So it kind of, I think I go all the way down to sort of Mike Trumbo and you know, he's not, a, he's not the kind of guy that I believe in, in terms of the guy that I would build my team around, but put him in Baltimore. Yeah. You know, against, 
you know, and he's also, he's interesting because he tells, he, he's told me different things at different times. When I first talked to him, he said, oh, I'm really studying guys and I'm really trying to be patient. And, you know, that was the year he had the lowest swing rate and he had the highest walk rate. Uh, but he also had his highest strikeout rate, which, you know, that's all, that's all kid and caboodle. So well, he went 34 and a hundred with the homers and ribbies. So maybe it worked. Well, one thing I will say about that is that, um, he, so he was studying up on guys then, and that was, that was his third year with, with LA. And I think that he got to know pitchers. And when I ask him about how he sort of approaches pitchers, some of it's very intuitive and it's like, what, what happened last time? What, what does this guy like to do against me sort of stuff? So, you know, then he went to Arizona. Maybe I should have thought about that a little bit harder because this is a whole new group of pitchers. And even with, you know, interleague play, you're just seeing different guys you haven't seen before. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, like, all those relievers that you're talking about seeing in a, in a brand-new division, you might get, a, like you said, interleague, you might get the starters every once in a while, but it, it's different. Yeah, and, you know, he did a lot. He did not a lot better, but he did better with the Mariners last year. Uh, once he came back over, at least in terms of homers, I guess uh, WRC Plus says that he was better as a Diamondback. But uh, I mean, if you're owning him, you own him for homers. So um, I would say, I guess the you know, I, actually Homer per plate appearance, he was better as a Diamondback. In any case, that was the second year as a Diamondback, and so he was starting to get to know those pitchers again. I know that Baltimore is not, you know, the AL West, but it is the AL, and it's just a perfect park for him. It's you know, I think it's even better than Arizona, honestly. I, I, I agree. And, 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 you know, to be fair, his ISO in Arizona was 247, which is, would be a career high uh, in, 215, in 2015. So that was when he's getting comfortable. Now, maybe he needs a year to get comfortable in Baltimore, and maybe we'll have that, you know, the same hiccup. But the projections themselves say 250 with 26 homers. And I'm, it's not really hard to, to push that up to 30. And he's only 30, whereas a lot of the guys ahead of him that are attractive to me on the first base rankings are not are, are past 30, well past 30, mid 30s. So, you know, Kendrys Morales had a nice little bump, you know, with Kansas City. It'd be nice to to, to buy into that and, and and probably get him on the cheap. But he's he's 32. That's a worse ballpark, and his career high in homers came five six years ago. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of betting on Babip and. And, and good uh, batting average mojo from a first baseman and 20 homers. I'd rather know know that Trumbo's got his best skill is is lined up with his best park. And then the other guy that I like is, uh, you know, once again, age will always come up when I start talking about players. And uh, I, I like Will Myers. I mean, for, for the 22nd-ranked guy, he's 25. He's one of the few down-ranking guys that's on the right side of, of peak. You know, 25, 26 is, is what I think of as peak. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we haven't seen a full full healthy season now, and that's why everyone's docked him in the projections and stuff. But you know the fans say with 616 plate appearances, you'll hit 273 to 22 homers, and I think that's uh, personally almost a little light on the homers, and that comes with 13 stolen bases. So if you're looking for Hosmer light, you know for a lot cheaper and a lot lighter, for a lot cheaper, yeah, and and, and lighter, like you're saying. But I I don't know. Will, Will Myers is a good one. That that's a guy. You know, in our time of, of podcasting together, which I, I assume we got to be coming up on a year pretty soon, um, you've 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 sold me on him. I've just you know kind of gleaned what you've said about him, um, and and really come back on board for Meyer, somebody that you know 
maybe I was just being contrarian. I don't think I was, but but when that trade happened and everyone said that you know the Rays bodied KC, the best deal ever, blah blah blah. Obviously easy to say now, but I'm on record at the time saying it's just not as big of a loss as everyone seems to think it is, because uh, I just didn't think Myers was the 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 surefire lockdown perfect player that everyone thought he was. But which he, you know, even if you can say you like Will Myers now, especially since his price is so low. You could you could still be right about what you said because he hasn't turned into a lock lockdown stud and still think that he'll be a decent first baseman. Yeah, and and I do, and and that's where I am right now. I've I've kind of come back around, and now I'm at the point like you said, the price is depressed. I think that's a place <laughs> that you can get in. Honestly, well, if I got to get him as a corner, I could kind of love that too. If I do get a stud first baseman, and then Will Myers is my corner, I'm eating right. that up all day. And you could and you could do something fun like Will Myers and Byung Ho Park, yeah, and or Will Myers and Stephen Piscotty, and I'm I'm a high man on Stephen Piscotty's power just because he, and this might happen sometimes, and I and I, and I try to be really upfront about it when I talk to people, when I talk on this podcast, and when I talk about projections and stuff, you know, he he convinced me that his swing changes have led to more power, so. You know, I I believe in in the the power he's shown the last couple of years versus the power the sort of below average power he showed before that. I think he can put up. He's projected by Steamer to be a 140 ISO and 11 homers in, in nearly a full season. I'm going to go way over on that. I think I might even go past the fans because th- there's like a legitimate change that's happened here. So, you know, I I give him like a 180 ISO and 20 homers and a decent batting average. So. You know, put that those numbers are interesting because they're kind of fringe for like a 12 teamer, maybe. Sure. You know, 280, 20 homers at corner, at corner infield. But uh, there's still, I think, growth beyond that. I mean, he had a 189 ISO last year, he did 203 ISO in AAA. And you compare and, it with a big average, you can find 20 homers not for 260. But a lot more easily at first base these days uh, with a 240-250. He, Piscotti, who we're talking about here now, you know, the fans got him at 284. That's pretty rosy, but it's not out of the question. It's it's not a it's not an egregious projection that I'm like that can't happen. It could definitely happen. And I think down at the bottom there, or the main proje- the medium projection that you're looking at is probably 265, 275. And again, that's better than the 20 homers, 240 that you're getting from guys around Piscotty. And again, I think he's probably only got a handful of games at first, so he might not even qualify in your league if they do the standard 20 games. But for these rankings, we use the Yahoo. Uh, stipulations. Oh, actually, he's got uh, 11 games there, so that that should work in leagues that only require 10. But again, if you do the standard 20, Piscotty's outfield only. Right. So, that, I mean, that, and and there's like a, a lot of moving parts in St. Louis, and you know, if he doesn't, if he isn't, you know, the 80th percentile projection of himself, then Tommy, Pham, if Tommy Pham is, then you know, there could be, and Brandon Moss is healthy, then there could be a squeeze there, I think, for him. But. Sure. Uh, that's why, you know, in sort of a 12 team league, I like the idea of getting a stud and then just waiting forever and pairing two guys. Cause I mean, having Byung-Ho Park as your util or, 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 or bench piece is, is pretty ideal. So if you could, if you go, uh, and get like Edwin Encarnacion, right. That, that might, you might be able to get that in a, in a more shallow league, um, with a, with a lower pick, you know? He's got the age going that Encarnacion, you know, he he can fall in some drafts. I've seen him in a 12-team league go on in the and second round. And then say, okay, round. you know, yeah. And then, then, like, you know, in the 10th rounds and stuff, you're talking about 
uh, you're like, okay, now I still see, I see Myers, I see Byung-Ho Park, I see Stephen Piscotty, and, you know, I, I, maybe Brandon Moss. I mean, that, that's a little bit for, for a shallower league, I don't know. But maybe Trumbo, right? Yeah, Trumbo. So Trumbo, Myers, Byung-Ho Park, and Piscotty are still on the board. As long as all four of those are on the board, just keep picking other positions. Mm-hmm. You know, and just wait. And, yeah, exactly. And then one of those guys will be gone, and you kind of want two of the other three. You could do a fun little turn where you're like, you know, you see somebody you know that might need a corner infielder, and it's getting to like the fifteenth round. Just be like, hey, uh, with my turn, I pick Byung Ho Park and Stephen Piscotty, or Byung Ho Park and Will Myers, and you'll piss somebody off. So <laughs> definitely. I, I think I think uh, I think those are the names that leave out of me downboard, and I'm, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm I think I'm a little better at downboard stuff than really uh, telling the difference between you know Joey Votto and and Ingrid Encarnacion, just because those guys are good, and if they're healthy all year and they're good all year, then they're going to be good. It's a little bit uh, more interesting to me to try and pick out the guys that uh, that have a little juice downboard you know yeah the, the the middle and 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 back end is is always more fun when you're talking about uh, figuring out you know kind of the, the guys who can grow uh, so I agree with you there by the way quick point on Trumbo I, I echo your sentiments hundred percent there he's not a guy that I normally like but I think the price is depressed right now in the market and going to Baltimore definitely intrigues me so he's somebody I'm also looking at uh, when in past seasons you know I, I go just short of, of crossing him off my board uh, to even start the draft. I mean, it's just not a guy that I've ever really been interested in because the, the 3,100 uh, has tantalized folks to kind of overdraft him. And some folks were saying, you know, now he's in Arizona, he could pop 40. Obviously uh, that didn't work. He only played 88 games that first year and then got traded last year. Uh, but again, there's always a price for somebody and he's fallen far enough. Trumbo has that I'm now interested. I'll give one name before we get into a few guys that you're less interested in. I like Justin Bohr. I really like what he did last year. Um, I think he can at least repeat over a full season. He's still going to lose time against lefties, you know, uh, but I don't think it's going to be a straight platoon. I think he'll just sit here and there against lefties to get a blow. And if that lineup uh, can stay together, i.e. Giancarlo Stanton can stay healthy, I think his runs and RBIs totals for Justin Bohr can, can go up. And so he's somebody that, that I like, again, as a corner, really, you know, you, you don't want to be putting him at your first base there uh, because there is some risk, particularly with the playing time. But if he's your corner, I think Justin Bohr is a good one. Yeah, I think you could throw them in that, that mix I'm talking about where there's a lot of options and you can, you can mix and match. And he's a good sort of bench util, uh, you know, pairing it at corner infield kind of guy. And for what it's worth, the, the projections – represent uh they, they actually in, in, encapsulate some growth and some upside for him in that a lot of people work off projections and are going to use these projections so it's it's nice to see the projections see a, a, a cut in strikeout rate because Boer always had sub 20 percent strikeout rates in the minor leagues mm-hmm. and so you know these these bigger ones in the major leagues are somewhat of a surprise and so therefore the projections have him going back down to 20 percent so if you pair that with keeping the power growth that he's shown you know, because the 218 ISO he's shown this year actually is a, almost a direct match to what he's doing in the in the high levels of the upper minors. Um, and so you would have thought he would have lost some there. If he doesn't lose it, the projections have him going on a 168 ISO, 188 ISO. Even the fans who are supposed to be, you know, the rosy ones, they're saying, uh, you know, 188 ISO. If he keeps that 218 ISO, adds a, a better strikeout rate, 
you know, you'll see a better batting average than he's projected for. It could be a 270 season. And, you know, it'll be the kind of thing where they keep him in the lineup more often, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, so I, I could see on the top end sort of a 270, 28 homer season, which, um, you know, I think that would be indistinguishable from a, from a Lucas Duda type. And I don't think that they're going to cost the same. No, and, and that's kind of why I like Bohr. You know, last year you look at, at it kind of his month long. He didn't even really play in April, seven plate appearances. And then and then a god-awful June, one of these historically kind of bad months, 138, 253, 262. That was his triple slash for Bohr. He had 515 OPS in June. You know, even if your bad month is, is a 650, you can live with that. But that being 515, plus he didn't play a, a month uh, because he was just working his way into the lineup. Add some playing time and and take his bad month and and bump it up a little bit because that's pretty bad for for a tough month. And again, all of a sudden, I think you're talking about somebody who has some nice value. So Justin Bohr is a guy I like. Let's talk about a couple guys that you're a little bit lower on now uh, than this consensus board and 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 why you are down on them. Who's your first guy? You know, it's that's a little bit harder for me. All the names are are decent and they you know I I like the the order they're in. I don't know. Chris Davis always makes me nervous. I don't. I just don't like his his play discipline, and um, it, when it goes south, I think it's going to go south in a hurry, and it's going to be really ugly. Um, Albert Pujols, to me, the the second half fade last year was, and I believe, or was it a second half outburst? Let me. No, make no, sure. it, it it was it was a fade. Because um, he had that huge first half to make the All Star game. Yeah, so second half, he was 231, 288, 419. Yowza. I mean, yowza. That's, that's bad. And you know? foot. I mean, he got surgery, uh, so Pujols is going to miss some time recovering from that surgery for the foot. So hopefully this is kind of the end of it, but he is going to miss some time. Do you, have a, do you have a read on how much time that might be? Is it, is it a month? Is it, is it a couple weeks? Or is he maybe even going to make opening day? Well, he, they just the newest news is they they, they took off the walking boots. So, okay. uh, you know, it's going to be even if you give him a month to to build up strength and stuff, I think he'll be he'll be in spring he'll play in spring training games. And the hitters always say they only need two weeks versus mm-hmm. the pitchers need the four weeks to stretch out. Every time I ask the players about whether or not they should cut the the spring training time, the the pitchers say. I don't know if you can do that, and the hitters say, hell yeah. Yeah, the hitters are like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and the beat writers are like, please, please. I have a family you know. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I guess these projections are based on Steamer, which are is already pretty down on him, given he's turning 37, 260, 27, 29 homers. But if you look at the years before that, 17 homers hurt a lot of the year, 28 homers. I mean, it can be worse than the projections. So it's gonna be 36 years old for Pujols, and you know something that's kind of interesting, um, and not in a good way, is the the evaporating walk rate. You know, he had those prime amazing walk rates and strikeout rates as a as a prime player when he was the best player in baseball, and and the strikeout rate has stayed great. You know, 11% last year. Even the the worst he's been is 12% in 2013, which is perfectly solid. But the walk rate has hasn't been double digits since 2010. Basically, uh, he never has had double digits as an angel. And these three of his last four years have been the worst of his career: eight percent, nine percent, seven percent, and then eight percent last year. In fact, actually, those are the four worst seasons of his career in walk rate with the Angels. So, you know, 
I would have pegged Pujols for a guy who was going to age really nicely. Maybe the strikeouts go up a little bit to mid-teens, but the walks would stay in the mid-teens as well, and he'd still be a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk guy. Uh, but we're not seeing that. You think there's a chance that he'll, he would walk more? I mean, 307 OBP last year. That's pretty ugly for Pujols. Yeah, you know, some of it was actually intentional walks. That was that was pumping him up a little bit. That, I think that's a at, good point. He was running some one to two percent intentional walks in there that fl- inflated him. But I think also what's going on there is he had like three hundred ISOs back then, and I don't think that he necessarily had a hole. So you know, pitchers were actually. I mean, if you you pair it up with his zone percentage, I think you'll see that he you know they were afraid of him basically. And uh, he was running well, you know. Actually, yeah, yeah, okay. If you if you look at pitch FX zone percentage, he was running 44s and 45s back then, and now he's running 47s and 49s and 50s. So he's about he's about league average in zone percentage now, whereas before he was, you know, probably one of those league leaders. And okay, in, that's a good uh, point then. So, so then they're not afraid you know, they're of him. More. They're not as afraid of him. They found that his holes. He's got he's got some holes too. He's a bit of a high ball hitter. And, uh, you know, he, he can be had blown away in, in a certain in certain spots. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really nervous about him. Last year, I used Buxton in a, in a score sheet league. I used Buxton and Albert Pujols to get Edwin Encarnacion and Corey Kluber. I needed the pitcher, but it was just as much about getting out from under Albert Pujols. I just thought this was the last time. And I, th- I and I think it's. Still an okay time, but I think last year was the last time to get really good value on Albert Pujols in a keeper league. Especially in the midst of a 40-homer season. That that yeah. definitely helped. And it was that, that big first half that really spurred him, got him back to the All-Star game. Let's move on to catcher. Um, you know, cause first base, I, I, I probably should have only made you go for one guy you're higher on, one guy you're lower on, because like you said, they are pretty tight. It's kind of hard to have major discrepancies at first base. You kind of know who they are. You might have some personal preference with the studs, but it, it is a tougher position. I think catcher's a little bit more wide open. I mean, honestly, you're talking about Posey running the show, of course, and then a, and then just a, a, a jumble uh, of guys that you can really see in any order and not really question it too much. Now, there isn't too much craziness with our rankings. You know, Schwarber um, almost runs the table at two. I actually had him three behind behind Lucroy. Uh, you know, McCann's up there, Russell Martin, Sal Perez, Travis Dierno, uh Stephen Vogt, Jan Gomes, and Yasmani Grandal make up the top 10. There wasn't a, a lot of craziness within that. Uh, Jeff's rankings had Darno pretty low likely due to the injuries because Jeff's is just the straight numbers. So the, the fact that Darno keeps getting hurt uh, is playing a big factor there. But otherwise, there just wasn't a, a too much craziness uh, in terms of where guys went. So I think you could kind of go a lot of different ways there. It's just like, oh, maybe he has this guy seven. The other guy has him five. It's all over the map. So who do you like uh, as a guy uh, that you're higher on and you can't say Buster Posey because he can't really get higher than, than one? <laughs> yeah, right. can't, can't get higher than one across the board uh i see two guys I, I see a lot of risk you know up and down this mccann age lucroy age bad season russell martin age come at some point salvador perez overuse got to get injured at some point also you know not great plate discipline to go with that power travis darno we already know about the age steven vote taylor two halves you know jan gomes is he really you know gonna come back so, I mean, that was a full year of, of blah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Terrible uh, season. Yeah. So, and it wasn't like, 
I mean, there, it was it was injury influenced, but I mean, he, it was utterly brutal when he played. Like, yeah. it, it it's got to be the injury uh, as the excuse, or else there's big trouble. Because if it was if this was some skills degradation as well, uh, there wasn't a ton of room for for uh, error anyway. Because you know, it's not like he had a big walk rate, strikeout rate was okay. We're looking for that power out of Gomes. I'm I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I still had him. Let's see. I had him 12th. Uh, definitely wasn't the high man, but he didn't even get as low. He didn't gain lower than 16. He ranged from 9 to 16. So by and large, the group is still pretty solid on him. Even at 16 for Brad, that's not too harsh on Gomes. I think but, a lot of us are expecting at least some sort of rebound because obviously if Brad thought last year was real for Gomes. He wouldn't have even had him at 16. So I think everyone's comfortable saying that Gomes isn't as bad as last year, and we're willing to give him a, an injury bypass. But of course, if he if he sucks again, then he's toast. Here's what I'm worried about. Maybe he is as bad as last year. And the reason I say that is because uh, I, I'm willing to give people injury credit, and that and I'm about to get to the names I do like better. Unfortunately, I've blurted out the name that I like less, I guess. And Young Gomes. Right. We can go in reverse uh, order. Yeah. Uh, Jan Gomes, his breakout was because he made more contact, in, in, in basically, you know. And, I mean, there's there's a little bit of power thing in there, too. But, you know, he was the kind of guy in the minors that looked like he might strike out 30% of the time in the majors because he's, he's running 25 26 27% strikeout rates in the minors. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he had that, you know, 215, 200-plus ISOs, but – then he comes up in, in the major leagues, and all of a sudden he's striking out 21% of the time, 23% of the time. Those are upper bound results for him. And what I'm really worried about is that last year he t- struck out 27% of the time. He also had the the most catcher-like BABIP last year. You know, the catcher, I, I've quoted this stat a bunch, catcher batting average on balls in play is 285. And that's exactly what Gomes had last year. So catcher BABIP is not necessarily league average BABIP. After two yeah. fantastic Babibs, by the way, 342 right. and 326, which, again, those are good against the league average. They're amazing against catcher. Yeah. That's a great point. So you, you, you had these two years that are, I would say, are an outlier. It's not like he was running huge Babbitts in the minors either. I mean, it, it's really hard to do that because minors are just crazy bad defense in a lot of places and crazy parks and all that. But, you know, he, he wasn't running any 400. I mean, he had a couple seasons with some 390. I mean, not even a full season. That was AFL, so let's not even look at that number. Uh, but he had a triple-A season with 392 Babbitt. I mean, that was that was part of his, his run-up to being good. But... Uh, you know, catchers are just so so hard, and he's 28 years old, and he's looking a lot more like he looked in the minors. So I, I'm looking past him. He also just had no pedigree at all, and just no, he was a kind of a pop-up player. That's true. Whereas the guys I like, um, that and this might seem like hypocrisy to like these guys. They're right behind Young Gomes, and they seem like very similar situations. But I like Yasmani Grandal and Devin Masarako better. Just because they had the 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 I mean the hype is the wrong word to use, but they had the they had the pedigree. They yeah, had the pedigree, the absolutely. And their rates last year, they 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 both suffered injuries, and their rates last year were much more in line of what you'd expect with a for a guy with their minor league numbers and their history. Uh, they're you know Grandal is a year younger, and uh, and Mesoraco, I think the the injury was the worst of the three. The hip, uh, yeah. He's also a year younger than Gomes, and you know there's this there's this chance that he plays in the outfield, and um, you know uh, Mesoraco's season was so good in 2014, and I would say 
in terms of rates and how it fit into his career and everything, a little bit better than Gomes. Just I don't get that nervousness. The Mesoraco's 2014 was, yes, yeah, finally, there it is. You know, it wasn't, wait, who's this guy? So yeah. uh, so I'm taking Mesoraco and Grandal. And I don't, you know, in the shallower league, I don't feel at all nervous taking one of those guys because I've waited forever. I'm picking them, you know, I'm picking whoever's available between Grandal and Mesoraco in the you know, around pick 150. And I feel pretty good about that, especially like a 12-team league. I'll have Grandal and Mesoraco. If it doesn't work out, there's Nick Hundley, Matt Wieters, Yadier Molina. By the rankings, we'll go undrafted, you know. So one of those guys will be fine. Miguel Montero, 21. You know, one of those guys will be fine and have now, are you, a better... Are you- are you pairing those two? You're saying Grandal is your C1. No, I don't want to waste the roster spot on another catcher. But what I'm saying is I'll draft Grandal and Mesoraco because they have way more upside than any of the names I just said. Sure. Weeders is interesting because he has enough upside if he's healthy. I like Weeders. To, to join Grandal and Mesoraco, and he's the name I like. But And he might get drafted too. But I think undrafted guys in a 12-team league that, that still interest me are Hundley, Norris, I think maybe Yadier gets uh, gets drafted, but Wilson Ramos, when he's healthy... You're talking uh, one-catcher leagues, then. Miguel Montero, right. So those okay. guys are going to be out there, and there's. I just feel like there's there's always going to be a, a pop-up. There's always a pop-up, like Stephen Vogt. Last year was Stephen yep. Vogt. Uh, and... Uh, Muto was a pop-up last year. Castillo yeah. was... Uh, Wellington Castillo was a pop-up last year. And Gomes. Uh, Hun- was Hunley was actually a pop-up in Coors until he got hurt. Right. So I think that uh, there's always a pop-up. I think that catcher is a, is a bad place to get value back on the high picks. And, I mean, as much as, I mean, Schwarber and Posey and McCann, uh, not even McCann, Posey and Schwarber are sexy time, and they'll always be somewhat attractive to me. But they, they often go in the first, second, third rounds where I'm just not ready to do that. And everything changes a little bit in two-catcher uh, lineups. But in yeah. the one-catcher lineup, I'll just pass on all those. Try to get one of Grandal and Mesoraco and keep my eye on, on you know, because if Mesoraco opens the season on the DL, that almost would be great. I draft Mesoraco super late, throw him on the DL. He's my sleeper for the rest of the season. Then I go and pick up Norris, Weeters, Molina, Ramos, and whatever. And maybe they click, and then you're in a position of strength. It, right. I mean, that, it can happen back. that quick. I just, uh, yeah, so those are, and and I've given away a lot of the names I like down, down, down ballot. Sure. The one. The one guy that I like from a growth perspective as opposed to just a value perspective, we talk a lot about guys that maybe are going lower than we think they should. But James McCann is a guy that I see some growth possibly out of. He's 25. He's holding his own against righties, which, you know, long, for a long time that the idea was that he would just be a guy that uh, would just hit against lefties. And Last year, uh, it wasn't great against righties with a 64 WRC plus, but you know a 250 average, uh, and 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 actually one of the best things about it is they actually gave him time uh, against righties. They gave him 320 plate appearances against righties, so he managed to accru- accrue some accounting stats. And if he can push that even just a little bit better, and they still trust him versus righties, then all of a sudden. You know, I think you could you could find yourself with a, a super cheap. And he's a little bit more of a deep league guy, but uh, you could find yourself with a super cheap version of that 260, 12 home run type catcher at the bottom, you know, the bottom of the bin. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. 
catcher obviously is very interesting position because it really depends if you are in that one catcher league or the two catcher things really change with just the addition of that one position. I'm willing to take Posey early in a situation where there's two catchers to try to get that edge. But in a one catcher league, I'm with you. I am waiting. I'm waiting. You know, I'll take the Weeders. I'll take a Real Muto. I'll just I'll I'll go elsewhere. I'm not worried about waiting, but not too long. When we talked about this on the podcast. When you're doing the two-catcher thing for your second catcher, don't wait too long. Dollar catchers are the worst return that you got in Fantasy Baseball HQ. Let's us know that every year in the forecaster. When they t- when they do their abstracts, they do the values. It's the only position that returns negative value on average from $1 catchers. So that, That's the place where like a James McCann is light years ahead of – it may not seem like it. Exactly. But light years ahead of like a uh, – Kurt I wanna, Suzuki. Yeah. Yeah, Kurt or, or you know Kurt Casale or, or Carlos yep. Ruiz guys. Uh, Carlos Ruiz, I don't know. He's uh, a, Carlos Ruiz is a thousand, and that's the thing. I I don't I don't know that he's going to bounce back much this year. I think Cameron Ruff. They're going to really start passing the torch to yeah, him. Yeah, probably. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. You know, Ruiz had that one big year in 2012. A little bit different if you're in an OBP league for for Ruiz, but, but even even that last year, you only had honestly, a 290. Uh, honestly, a dollar American League catcher. It, it's not. And even close to James McCann, it's Michael McHenry. You're 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 putting a dollar on a guy who like doesn't even have a major league invite. You know what I mean? Exactly. You're putting a dollar catcher in, in a two catcher American League only, which is like AL labor. Michael McHenry is a decent one because he is projected to have a similar or better bat than the guys in front of him, and it's a bad catching core because it's uh, Robinson Chirinos and mm, Chris I... Jimenez. Yes, McHenry's out in Texas. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't know where he landed. Yeah, Jim, Jimenez is the backup there. Chirinos and Jimenez. So, I mean. you're you're putting a dollar on McHenry, hoping he's the backup, which is a terrible return because <laughs> the backup catcher, if Chirinos actually, you know, plays at like a regular frontline catcher, the backup catcher gets like 200 plate appearances, and that's and that's anything not- can happen. In, in it those. can. That can happen, but it's a lottery. No, ticket. no, no, and I, I didn't mean that in a good way. I mean like the volatility is 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 so through the roof. Like Jimenez last year was that guy. He only had 113 plate appearance. Randomly pops five homers, so he had a quote unquote good season for those 113 plate appearances as as a C2 maybe. But you know but when you're when you're de- there's just so much volatility. You don't feel well, great about that. I don't think that's a winning strategy. I mean, no, no, that's no, a great no. return. Even if he re- returned more than a dollar, he returned two dollars. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not uh, it's not the kind of uh, big jump. Whereas James McCann, you're gonna have to spend more money on him. But I mean, I, I doubt he goes for much more than five bucks. And yeah, even in the AL only, I, I listen. If you don't want to go Brian McCann and, and Russell Martin and like really pay up, I understand that too. But then go James McCann and Blake Swihart or something. You know, don't yeah, go one dollar, one dollar. Yeah, exactly. I I, I like that idea. Uh, it does look like there's a little bit of an American League gap here. It's kind of interesting. It, there uh, is. Because I, I, I had trouble coming up with those names. I know That's funny that you noticed that. I was like, uh, I should have said NL only. Because Gomes and Vote are probably still going to be expensive. So if you're looking for a cheap catcher after Gomes and Vote, you hit a bunch of NL guys. Grandal, Mazzarocco, Cervelli, Hundley, Norris. Uh, Weeder's probably still going to be expensive. Molina, Ramos, Real Muto, Castillo, Swihart. That's why you came up with Swihart. Yeah. Montero, Chirinos, who I I don't see Chirinos in the same level as James McCann. James McCann is a guy I think will have the job no matter what. He's in the right age. 
it's the right kind of team where they just don't need to screw around with it. He knows all the pitchers, you know. Well, and Avila's gone, and they see him yeah. as the leader. Even if the stick isn't really there, um, yeah. he does hit lefties, so he's got that side covered. They're willing to give him the reps to try to improve against righties, and he's got that team leader moniker, which I know you can't quantify it, but it means something, and he's got that in Detroit. So he's going to be the guy behind the dish. In this case— he's going to get a few, a few reps here and there, but not going to take tons of playing time away. Yeah, I think in this case, what McCann, what that leadership means is plate appearances. And yep. plate appearances are gold in those American League only leagues. So, I, I, yeah, I like uh, a McCann Swihart. Swihart, you never know, the prospect shine might still be on and might be, might be expensive. But uh, McCann Murphy, how about that? I really like that. J.R. Murphy, James McCann. Um, oh, crap. Two guys that decimate labor, left. There are labor players that listen to this. I know that. <laughs> Why did I just do that? Well, let's say uh, no, no. Your two top, your top two catchers are Jared Saltamaki and Chris Iannetta. You're going to be going to the <laughs> mat for them so hard, labor guys. Five dollars for Michael McCarthy. Bid him up on those guys. <laughs> Giovanni Soto is one of his prime targets. He's saving money for Giovanni Soto. No, I've got <laughs> another question for you. We did see some catcher movement, not a ton this year. Some guys, some kind of mid-tier or even further down guys that are, have moved around. And I'm curious uh, what it means for the pitchers on that club. So, in other words, how well do these guys frame? Let's go Let's go quickly uh, through these guys, and you let me know what you think of them. Tyler Flowers leaves the White Sox and goes to Atlanta. Uh, A.J. Pierzynski's still there, so he's not going to be the full-time guy. But what do you think of Flowers um, as a framer for the Atlanta Braves? It was one of his better, one of his better facets, so it could be useful. There is an interesting thing that that Jeff Sullivan just wrote about framing, in which he said that um, basically, framed. huh? He said we've been framed. I, I was trying to make a stupid joke, and it worked. It was stupid. It was very stupid. So continue. Anyway, uh, but they were just saying that uh, that the gap, uh, the gap between the top and the bottom in framing has 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 has, uh, has narrowed. And that the year-to-year stickiness has has lessened, and so uh, there's a wobble in framing right now. And it's possible. I think what's what's happening is that it's just become a point of influence, a point of emphasis for every team. Everyone is it's a it's a buzzword, and it's an easy thing. I think it's a decently easy thing for somebody to improve just by by, by looking at about it. thinking about it, looking at the best best practices in in framing. And, and training a little bit because Absolutely. it's it's not – I mean when I asked Luke Roy what it took to be a framer, he said a strong wrist, don't be too tall so you can you can stay low and and, and just stick that, that pitch. And then knowing your pitchers, those seem to be like the main skills in framing. So you can sort of anticipate where the pitch is going, beat the ball to its spot, hold your wrist with the glove in a certain angle – and uh, and give the give the the umpire a good look at it over your shoulder and just stick that pitch with a strong wrist. So basically, if you were bad at framing, and you know maybe even a team told you you can't be our starting catcher because of your framing problems, or we're going to trade you, or if you're in the minors, they say you know we like you, but you need to work on your framing. Then all you do is you know work the wrist a little bit harder. But really, honestly, if you're a major league catcher, you've got strong wrists. And the other thing is think about. Play it where you place your head, where you place your hand, anticipate the pitch, and work on it. So I think basically what's happening is everyone's getting better at it, and the people that are that are far out in front are sort of coming back to it. But um, it is still an interesting thing to think about. I think that AJ Prasinski's bat magic is going to go away a little bit. It has, and, to, right? 
and uh, so Flowers is going to get some run. And last year he was the seventh best framer uh, on a rate basis. Okay. So um, Flowers yeah. was not Przinsky. Flowers was Przinsky. Um, not a top 30 guy, so I think he was actually pretty bad, but I don't feel like scrolling through all these. But, um, uh, you know, so yeah, I think those are some, uh, and this is actually Flowers, that's uh, that's seventh uh, with other levels in there. Um, if it's just MLB, it goes Grandal, Cervelli, Flowers, so third best last year. Wow, that's but, that, you know, that's pretty good. Grandal, uh, Grandal in, in Florida. Uh, you know, thinking about, I mean, I do so grand yeah. in like, Los Angeles, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, thinking about the new guys that they've, that they've added that pitching staff, you know, I think he could be, uh, some help to, to Casimir who you needs a little bit of help, uh, stealing strikes sometimes, not the best normal command, maybe a full, uh, off season with Alex Wood to work on, on, you know, getting together on the same page and stuff with him. Um, that could, those, those things could be helpful to, to those additions to that staff. So I think, um, a cu- couple others, Avila is going, Alex Avila, we mentioned him leaving Detroit, going to replace Tyler Flowers in Atlanta, or excuse me, in Chicago. And, uh, he and Deiner Navarro are going to, going to work together there. I think Avila will get a lot of the run, uh, as the, as the lefty in the group, if he can stay healthy. Now I know his reputation, was strong when he was healthy in the past for the Tigers. But where is he at right now? Uh, you know, we talked about concussions, by the way. That's a guy who gets beat up. I know Minnesota Twins fans uh, would definitely lobby for Kurt Suzuki as the most beat-up guy in baseball. I, as a Tigers fan who watches them day in and day out, I'd have Avila right there in the running for that awful award. Uh, he just gets obliterated back there. But if he's healthy, uh, does he add and and, and – Obviously, maybe not uh, compared to last year when Flowers excelled, but overall, is there going to be a major drop for those White Sox pitchers? Who's who's coming in again after uh, Avila? His Soto, right? Dyer Navarro, uh, you know who they'll probably DH at times too, like he did in Toronto. But he's he's the backup. They kind of signed the two pretty quickly together to be that tandem. You, you can hit on you can hit on Navarro as well, by the way, because I don't really know what his framing is like. I, I feel like he's a bat first catcher for sure, though. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, to. You probably heard the the noises. I'm trying to search. I mean, I, the uh, the baseball prospectus leaderboard for this does not. Um, I pulled up the stat corner one uh, really really fast here, and I'm looking at it, and it looks like Avila was pretty bad last year, and so was Navarro. They both had really tough seasons. Now, I, again. You talked about the the Jeff Sullivan piece saying stickiness necessarily wasn't the the, the best for this the way that uh, framing has become so prevalent. But those two were two of the worst. They were actually uh, only split by Chris Herman, who who uh, played for the Twins, and they were in the bottom. If I'm just eyeballing it, they were in the bottom 15 to 20 or so out of a out of a ton of catchers. It lists pretty much everybody who played last year in the majors, but still. They were down at the bottom. That's not good. How worried are you about that if you're if you're talking about drafting a White Sox pitcher? Anybody, any any of their prime guys? We're talking Sale, Rodon, Quintana. Uh, any of them primarily benefit from it, or can they succeed even without the benefit of of some quality framing, even if they just got average to slightly below? Yeah, uh, baseball perspective agrees. Navarro was in the bottom 
bottom third. Um, and uh, wow, this is Jeopardy. Right now, the baseball for sexist leaderboards are uh, difficult to navigate. Uh, yes, uh, Navarro was bad. Uh, and Avila, because I, I do trust the baseball of Texas stuff a little bit more because um, I think they've done a really good job with the methodology. Absolutely. But um, neither one of them uh, rated well, uh, and the first 30 um, are really the only ones that are worth looking at. So I think they'll probably be fine. I mean, it would be nice to put a nice, a good framer with Carlos Rodon, really. Right. That could uh, definitely help with his filthy stuff, steal some strikes. Yeah. He needs to steal some strikes so that he doesn't have to necessarily go to that changeup with the, the fastball and be as predictable. But, uh, you know, at this point also, framing becomes a, a valued skill that's become expensive. So, you know, are the White Sox even going to pull off a Cervelli thing, and do they even put as much stock in the in the, in the the framing thing? So, you know, it's not like, uh, I guess, the, the, the most available good framer might have been, you know, Austin Hedges, who's a young player that the Padres probably want to hold on to. Uh, Martin Maldonado, uh, you know, I guess the Brewers might give him up, but, uh, you know, well, then you're... What about, what about Conger? Because the, the Rays went out and got him. Uh, you know, we know how much they love framing. They let Jose Molina play as, as a, a bat worse than somebody they could pull out of the stands for several years. Conger yeah, at least brings you know, a capable bat. What's his framing like? Last year, in terms of adjusted framing uh, runs, fair runs above average adjusted, framing runs above average adjusted, uh, Hank Conger was worth 1.8. So that's uh, barely above average. You know, it's just, and it's 1.8 runs, so it's not even a full win of, of, of production. Okay. It's, it's, it's two tenths of a win of production. So I think he, you know, yes. So it's on the margins. It's on the margins. But it's it not be, as prevalent anymore. Guy, if your other guy is, is one of the worst, let me, um, let me look at this uh, from the other angle. Uh, like Conger would have been 1.8. Um, and the guy they ended up with, Navarro, is minus 3.3. So, you know, together that's a, that's a half a win of difference. Um, you know, but then, you know, how much does, you know, Navarro, does Conger give back with the bat? Navarro does have a little bit of, of stick in him, so. Doesn't Conger, I don't know, I thought I thought when he was coming up with the Angels, he was supposed to be a bat guy, and uh, he did he did all right last year with the, with the Astros in 229 plate appearances, looks like. He had a 759 OPS thanks to some punch with 22 extra base hits out of his 46. So, you know, again, not crazy impacts with any of these guys moving. Chris Iannette is another guy. Uh, J.R. Murphy, I think they were uh, slightly above average in their framing. But nothing that I think you want to make decisions based off of. It could be maybe a tiebreaker for you if you're looking at the framing. But because it's not overwhelmingly sticky year to year, too, you can't just look at last year's and say, well, you know, it. Except in the case of some guys, the guys who are consistently up there, you know, like a Cervelli has the reputation and has continued to have good success. But you're already drafting the Pirates guys because of the defense and the park and because they're good anyway. So it, it may be a tiebreaker scenario, but not anything that you want to base your strategies on. All right, Dina, let's jump into the emails, wrap this sucker up. Uh, we got a couple today. First one from Paul. Great first name, buddy. Uh, Mets defense for the starting pitching. He says, Paul. 
Would love to hear your and Eno's thoughts on the Mets rotation given the offseason signings they have made. Pretty clear there are some defensive liabilities. Are you adjusting your projections slash expectations for Mets pitchers as a result of the overall team defense or lack thereof? So this kind of jumps off of what we just talked about with the catcher framing, except that in a much grander scale where I think there is a much bigger impact when you're talking about team defense, whether it's the infield defense for a heavy ground baller or the outfield defense for a heavy fly baller. Obviously the biggest move that they made recently was Cespedes. He's going to be the primary center fielder. You so happen to follow the Mets quite closely. So I'll definitely let you take this one. What do you think about the Mets defense and its impact on that amazing rotation? It's it's going to be a net, uh, a net negative. It definitely is. They're they're not a good defensive crew. And Cespedes, as much as I is it is exciting that they managed to sign him, and what a you know gr- crazy great deal it was. Um, you know, I think for the player, it's it's a good deal because he's getting the most he can average annual value. Uh, for the for the team, it's great because it's only three years. So uh, if he if he does turn into, I I'm worried he's Josh Hamilton or uh, Andrew Jones, but uh, if he does turn into one of those two guys, the, they won't be on the hook for very long. So I, I like I like the deal, even though it's a weird fit with him in center field. And yes, you'd have to worry about that. But the, you know, on the other side, you have to think about the fact that the Mets lead. The, the, do they lead the league in strikeouts? They're they're close to leading the league in strikeouts. So I can um, do that. Uh, as they, I talk. they will be again either way. Even if they didn't lead last year, they're going to be in contention for it this year, especially. When Harvey drops a 300 bomb on everybody, that's that's just I'm just, I'm kind of joking, but kind of not. I think he has 300 strikeout potential. Of course, if everything works out perfectly, it's a, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an out there projection, but I do think he could do it. Mets were eighth last year, but if you make it just the starters, um, <clears throat> they were <clears throat> oh, eighth. That's weird. It, that's that's interesting. I would have thought they were higher. Yeah, I guess I'm glad you checked uh, then. But you know, I think there is going to be some changes there because Mats is going to get a full season, I think, and Wheeler is coming at some point, and I think Cologne is more of a swingman, and Cologne's uh, bad strikeout rate, it you know, was pulling that down. So Nice is gone. You know. he, he's not a strikeout guy. So yeah, they should they should fare better. But yeah, you could have won a bar bet with me there if you said where were they? I would have said top three for sure, and definitely would have had and, that one wrong. And for what's worth, the, the top three teams in the league by strikeout rate last year, the Indians, the Cubs, and the Nationals, they have shown in the past that defense is not necessarily their number one sought-after yeah. consideration. Yeah, because they've uh, the Cubs are going to play a non-center fielder in center field this year. They're going to play Schwarber in the outfield. They're going to play Schwarber in the outfield. The Indians have long had some of the worst defense in the league. And the Nationals were looking to sign Cespedes, which would have meant Cespedes <laughs> or uh, it would have meant Cespedes or Harper in center because they weren't going to start uh, or, or starting Revere over Worth, which I doubt was going to happen. So yeah, that wasn't going to. Uh, so you know, I do think the guys on the upper end of the strikeout uh, groupings are, are are acting a little bit differently than some of the guys on the lower end. Uh, the Blue Jays had some of the lowest strikeout rates in, in the league last year. And I think they played Kevin Pillar in center because, you know, he was a good defensive guy and the rest of that lineup can handle it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, same for some of the, the Royals, for example. Uh, great defense, uh, terrible strikeout rate as a team. So I, I do think there's some give and play between those. There's obviously a number of balls in play that are going to be different for those two teams because of the strikeout rates are so different. 
so I think that's going to mitigate it. And then there's one last thing I want to talk about, which is just the sequencing. You can actually have defensive sequencing, which is that the kind of idea where you get up two or three runs and you decide now it's time for Juan Lagares to come in at center. Uh, now it's time for, I don't honestly know who the guy is going to be that is going to be good at defense at short because they don't really have that guy. Um, Matt Reynolds, uh, if he as, makes the team. Or, as Drupal, right? Uh, no, he's the bad guy on defense. I, it would be crazy to me in my head if Wilmer Flores was the defensive replacement for Azdrubal Cabrera. Uh, Ruben Tejada is the guy I'm missing. I think Ruben Tejada is oh, yeah, probably the best right. defender there. That's right. Uh, that's right, that's right. I mean, the defensive projections say that Flores is the best defender. I just can't believe it. So I'm, I'm going to give – let's say uh, they get up and maybe they replace uh, Walker with Flores and they have a sort of defensive team that comes on the field once they get two or three runs and, and, and they get into the seventh inning or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's some, it might not necessarily mitigate it for the starters, but there is some mitigation for their win totals and, uh, you know, holding on to wins that they, that they get to uh, by use of sort of defensive substitutions. And I think there's enough good defense on this team to do stuff like that, especially with Juan Lagares. I mean, that, that changes everything. If you actually have an outfield of Lagares, Conforto, Granderson, I think the defense, for me, uh, would be above average just because Lagares is so plus. And Granderson is decent in his age, and Conforto is a lot better than, than, than we thought. So, No, I, 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 I definitely agree the, there. I guess that's a long-winded answer is I think it's a little bit overblown. I wouldn't, too, wouldn't worry too much about it. It's not like they're going to be pitching in cores all of a sudden. It's not shift the ranks kind of worry. It, these yeah. guys are still studs. They can outrun it. Um, you're not talking about a contact-heavy guy. This isn't like Doug Fister. You know, he needs the defense more than anybody with his strikeout rate or Justin Nicolino, who has like a 5% strikeout rate. Uh, the defense really important for them, not these guys with 25% plus strikeout rate. All right, next email is from Melissa. Hey, I, like I said, every once in a while, a keeper question is going to get through. I thought this one was actually kind of interesting because it, it had some really tough ones in the maybes, and that's why I wanted uh, to see if you could help her out. She said, I need some keeper help. My league details include 12 teams, six by six, with quality starts and doubles being the extra categories in addition to the standard five by five. We keep each player for, or we keep five players each season, no limit on how long. Uh, so by keeping five players, they lose the first five rounds of the snake draft. So I feel like if you didn't keep one, would you get a pick? I don't know. Would you get a pick ahead of everybody if you only kept four and then you have like the first pick automatically? I don't know. But anyway, she has the first 11th to 12th picks in the first round this year. Pitching failed her last year, so she was in rebuilding mode. Uh, offense made up of 10 spots with the additional being an extra utility and no corner or middle infield. So the pertinent numbers here are the 6x6 six six with the doubles being interested here and, and quality starts. She's got Rizzo and, and Goldschmidt starting off. That's pretty good, by the way. We said get a stud first baseman. She went ahead and one-upped it and got two stud first basemen. Now, here are the maybes, and you got to pick three of these. You know, Anthony Rendon, Miguel Sano, Christian Yelich, Jorge Soler, Brent Gardner, Jay Bruce, Brandon Belt, Byron Buxton. And again, these are no round costs. Uh, I mean, they kind of are, but they're not because most teams, I don't know if you have to keep five, if you're mandated to or not, but either way, it's going to be your first five rounds. And she has three picks in the first round. So that's a luxury as well. Which of these three guys are you going to keep with Goldschmidt and Rizzo, two first rounders? Rendon, Sano, I think uh, they stand out to me. Because, I mean, guys like uh, Bruce, 
and Brett Gardner uh, and I think even Yelich, they just don't they don't stand out, you know, because uh, same with J- Belt and I, I, I again I love yeah. Belt, but I, I think he's Especially in that class third first baseman. That's there. The, yeah, he's automatically erased. Well. Uh, so you know. Two. So taking Yelich, Gardner, Bruce Bell, they're out, especially since Yelich and Gardner, like Gardner is the best case scenario for Yelich. So, right. you know, to have two of those guys, I think is, is overkill. Uh, so now we're left just getting rid of one of Rendon, Sano, Soler, Buxton. You know, as much as I love Soler, I think that's really your, your big choice there, Soler versus Buxton, because Rendon and Sano play, will at least have infield eligibility. Uh, so no, there's still the outside chance he plays third base or plays outfield. Even and if he doesn't, just, they do have two utilities. Bat. And it's such a bat. I mean, it's just a big old bat. So, and I think Rendon could be one of those guys that actually gets a little boost from being having doubles counted. He's going to have doubles and homer power. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the upside of, of of having a second baseman that can do what he does is is worth keeping. So, so versus Buxton. I think 99% of the people are going to say Buxton, and so that's enough for me to actually change my opinion. You never want to be so out there on a guy that you're doing crazy things. So uh, I think you keep Buxton. I mean, it's the, it's the upside play. Jorge Soler, I, honestly, as much as I like him, if if he went nutty, 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 I think it would look a lot like Sano. It would be like a 260-30 homer season. And that's him going nutty. And it might be kind of redundant with Sano on the roster. Whereas when Buxton goes, if Buxton goes nutty, 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 it's like, you know, 290, 2020 or something. So Exactly. Or, or like 15, 40. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That lets like, your team a little bit better because you're not keeping a lot of speed otherwise. So. And that's what does it for me. That's the key point for me right now is that with with you with, we've got you having Goldschmidt, Rizzo, Rendon, Sano. I think it becomes easy to go Buxton at that point because of the speed upside. And again, you get to keep them forever, so that's great. You, you've got five guys in their prime, pretty young. It's a great setup. And then three picks in the first round, Melissa. You smash these fools next year uh, yeah. instead of having to rebuild. You can pound pitching early, too, and not really put yourself behind the eight ball. So uh, hopefully that works out for her. As yeah, always, you pitching, guys – oh, pitching, go ahead. If there's a good shortstop, you know, you know, two pitchers and a shortstop or two pitchers and an outfielder, you're going to come out of there looking good out of that first round. Yeah, absolutely. If you could attack one of the one of the more scarce positions, you have the luxury to be able to do that, especially because if Sano doesn't qualify at third or outfield for anything, um, we are using both of your utilities right off the bat because there's no corner. So Rizzo or Goldschmidt has to go in there. But again, don't be afraid to use your utilities when you're using them with with studs. And, and in this case, you definitely are. All right. You know, we got one more email here and then then we'll go ahead and get out. Uh, Danny. Has, a, has an email about uh, category redundancy. I'm in a league that has a bunch of redundant categories, in my in my opinion. Our categories for offense are average, runs, homers, uh-huh. RBIs, stolen bases, walks, strikeouts, OPS, and total bases. Pitching categories are quality starts, wins, losses, uh-huh. ERA, whip, Ks, walks, saves, and blown saves. So uh-huh. nine by nine, head to head. I mean, it's way too much. He says, I think on offense, power dominates. The guy's like more stats than the traditional five by five, but I think we're getting redundant. You're right. Your league is getting redundant. If you played these stats, would you say power is the Trump hand? Has to be, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, one nice thing is that the the auction calculators up and running. You can definitely just. To me, a lot of times people get a little bit too caught up in categories because you know just set the set the damn rules and let's play. You know, yeah. 
Uh, and in this case, it would, I'd be loading up on sluggers. Yeah, there's a little bit of can you get your stolen bases along with your slugging? You know, can you? But uh, yes, the, the the powerless stolen base guy is almost useless in this because he's going to hurt you in OPS. He's going to hurt you in total bases. He's going to hurt you in average. He's, you know, he's, he's going to hurt. Probably not going to walk. Homers and RBIs, you know. So yeah, and the BB, you know. So it's like uh, like a Ben Revere type goes from you know, starting outfielder to maybe don't even, you know, don't even pick him up. That, yeah, that's exactly who I was thinking of in this. His his value is utterly decimated, even like a Billy Hamilton, who's on the high end of that with Revere, too. I know a lot of folks like him. Uh, I'm not as high. He is utterly decimated in a league like this. Just stack your power. Honestly, Melissa's roster would work very well for this league as well with all the power that she has. Yeah, right. um, in that case, you might actually go with Solero over Buxton because although Buxton is kind of the guy that, that could have a good enough OPS. It could be that hybrid, exactly. I'm not saying that I'm high on Buxton because I'm a little bit worried about him. But but in terms of that kind of player, like you kind of want to get your stolen bases from the 2020 types or the 1520 types so that you, you're still getting your power and uh, and uh, you're kind of sneakily getting your, your stolen bases. That's how I would approach this is almost, almost punt. I mean, you can't – but when you get that many categories, you also can't be first in all nine. But in a head-to-head, you kind of can punt. The speed. Oh, it's head like, to head. Yeah, oh, I totally. I just punt stolen bases. Just yeah. punt it. Just punt speed just punt. And, and and just stack just up on power. On, keep an eye on your average. That's it. Just punt. Yep. Try to get low K uh, sluggers. That would be that, and that's possible. There are those, you know, the Albert Pujols types. Just try and get low K sluggers, and you'll be good at Ks. You'll probably be good at uh, at walks. You'd have a good batting average because you know low K sluggers have good batting average. You'll be you'll be good everywhere except stolen bases. And then on the pitching side. I mean, you know, you can see how people work their way into these categories and they're like, oh, well, you know, if I have saves, I want to give the, the starters something. And if I've blown saves then I have to give losses. So wins and losses are like saves and blown saves. I don't know why you would then throw quality starts in there, except unless you want to give the starters more categories than the relievers. Um, you know, I it, it's actually I think it's almost impossible to get the perfect categories together just because you, you're, you're gonna just keep doing this you're gonna be like oh, there, there is no perfect triple and you know, there's almost nothing perfect and even if you go and if you go over to points and you do like saber fip based those points I, there's a lot of people who say those are perfect but to me they're not because you're still pumping out one number at the end of the day and every player all has one number attached to it and trading becomes just pulling teeth people are like well why would i trade for that guy when he has fewer points than the guy I've got or, you know, um, so I like having categories so you can do trades and be like, I've got more of this than you do and stuff like that. So, um, but in this case, it's, it's hard to sort of read the tea leaves really quickly. Quality starts, wins and losses, ERA whip. So quality starts, wins and losses are starters stats. ERA whip, uh, saves and blown saves are reliever stats. K's is a starter stat. So you've got four and four on both sides, and then BBs would be a reliever stat, right? Or, because, a, or a great starter stat. The, the great starters who don't walk guys are also yeah, helping I guess that. this would kind of work like K9, where I would just want to get a couple elite starters and then maybe you know peace out on the middle and uh, try to build a really good bullpen. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah, I like definitely see that. stars with a really good bullpen, and then you sort of, 
you you kind of stream lightly. Uh, you know, if you're just the end of the week, if you're behind on something, you stream for that stat. Um, I think with saves and blown saves in there and um, one, two, three, four, five out of nine stats favoring relievers, I think there's going to be, um, you know, definitely a bit of a run on relievers. Yeah, don't be afraid to get in there. Don't be afraid to get in there on some guys who might not be getting the saves like your Batances is, the loser of the Carter Caps, A.J. Ramos, because they, they can still contribute in this league, um, and they're not giving you the blown saves. Well, actually, they still can. I forgot that's true. You can actually still get the blown save, but they don't really do that very often. They're great. So uh, good luck with that, Danny. Again, you guys email us, sleeperpot at gmail.com. Keeper question will slide into the show every once in a while, but for the most part, I'm trying to answer those as one-offs. Better on Twitter, even if you can if you can do those, um, answering as many emails as I can. You guys are really filling up the inbox, so I love it. You know that's going to do it for us. We're we're on a, a Wednesday, Friday this week. Uh, Charlotte had to get fixed yesterday, so uh, I was I was kind of tied up yesterday. I'm nursing this little one back to health uh, to try to take care of her. So we had to we had to push it a day, but we're on two times a week. J- Jason and I still doing our Sundays. We're back. I mean, baseball season is back. We are we are really kicking it into high gear, and it and it's great. In two weeks, you know, the Super Bowl is going to go off, and that really closes the book on football for the football fans too. Um, even though fantasy football is pretty much done, and then we'll we'll be in full baseball mode, and it it's, it feels great. I wish the weather would cooperate with it though. So, uh, you know, I'll talk to you in a couple of days. I hope you take care and feel better. Uh, until then, I'll see you later. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs>